All right, you can have a seat. All right, I'm going to say a word, and it's probably going to bring up some emotions and thoughts, maybe responses. It's, it's a word that I'm going to say, so I want you to be ready and be prepared. Take a deep breath, and I'm just going to say it and be ready for the flood of thoughts and emotions. Work. Work. What do you do for work? What do you work at? What do you do in your job or career? Where do you work? What, what is it that you do? Why do you work? Do you, do you find yourself primarily at your job or whatever it is you do? Do you primarily find yourself working not for the day, but working for a day that's coming, working for the weekend? Do you work simply to pay your bills and make it through this life? Do you work because you have somehow obtained a lifestyle that now requires you to pay it off? Where you now become one of the many dwarves in the machine that goes to work singing, I owe, I owe, so it's off to work I go. I thought that was a bit more humorous than that uh, rated. Do you work, are you working to, to prove yourself to someone, yourself, uh, a loved one, someone you uh, esteem? Are, are you working to achieve something? Do you work because that's just simply what adults do? Huh? Why are you working? Why do you do the specific work that you do? Why, why do you have the job that you have? Is it a calling? Is it a thing that you feel like you were created or crafted? I was made to do this work. Is it because it's your passion? Is it because you love it? Because the work that you do feels so significant, so necessary, so meaningful and important, I must do this job. Do you do, you do this work because it's what your mom or your dad did? It's, a, it's, it's in the family DNA. It's, it's what we've always done. Do you, do you do your job? Do you do your work for no greater, greater reason mainly than, well, it, it pays the bills, and I don't absolutely hate it. I kind of hate it, but it's just necessary. This is just the job I have, and they hired me. It's okay work, and it's okay pay. I'll, I'll take it. Contemporary surveys uh, in the United States tell us that over 50% of Americans are really dissatisfied with their job. Over half of our pop population, that's just right around 200 million people, are just really dissatisfied with what they do for their job. And that number globally in these surveys climbs to over 85% of people surveyed. Why is that so? Why are so many people either so dissatisfied or so often dissatisfied with what they do for the vast majority of hours that they are awake during their week, daily and weekly life? I know that many of you, if you're anything like me, you, you've had a job, at least been in, in, in a job, that from day one, you thought, oh my gosh, I hate this. I cannot wait to get out of there. Anyone? Anyone had that job? Like one of those? Yeah. In fact, even if some of you are working a job right now that you really do enjoy, like me, you're doing a job for a living, you do the work, I really enjoy this work. And you still have to be honest and confess that even though you're grateful for your position, what you get to do, um, you've still had days where you just hated the work. You didn't want to get up and do it. Just because that's a universal, shared experience that virtually every human being has had, just because it's a universal experience, that doesn't mean that's the way it ought to be. That is the way it is, but that's not the way it ought to be. That isn't the way that work ought to be. It's not supposed 
to make us feel and experience that. So that's the introduction getting us into today's topic for this by design series, this sermon series where we're just going through these things in our life that we all experience or are engaged in. We, we, we need to know about them, understand them, uh, and, and, and deal with the fact that nothing in this world, in our experience, seems to be the way it ought to be, which implies there's an idea that like there ought, there's a way that things ought to be, and it's not the way it ought to be. What do we do with that? Hence the sermon series, that there is a design to everything and everyone in this reality, in the universe. And because it's got a design, that means there's a designer. And when we reject the design and we think we can do something better, we can create something more improved or replace it with something else, what we're doing is we're not just rejecting the design of some particular thing or area, we're rejecting the designer himself. And when that happens, what we do, when we do that, the... the the simple, natural result is that we break the stuff the designer has given us, and we hurt ourselves, we hurt one another. But the very joy, the security, the peace, the clarity of mind, the soul rest that every human being needs and is searching for in everything and everyone, you actually get that. You get that peace, you get that joy, you, you are on the path to that when you trust the designer and you accept and receive his design for all things, and you live according to that design. So today, we're looking into God's design for work. And that structure, my expectation is that by the end of this sermon series, everyone will be an expert on the redemptive historical narrative, the story of the Bible. Creation. Okay, fall. You're allowed to participate, all right? All right creation, fall, redemption, and recreation or restoration. All right. In theological uh, pastry terms, uh, the, the technical word would be consummation. I'm not going to make you do that one, all right? So when we look at the story of the Bible, the story of God and humanity, not only in the Bible but expressed and shown, experienced in, throughout all of history in the present time and future, what, we're, what we get is this story. So we start with creation, which establishes how it ought to be. You are right. Things are not the way they're supposed to be, which implies there is a way there. these things ought to be. So I want to take you to Genesis chapter 2, verses 5 and then 15 through 17. <coughs> when no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, God did some stuff. All right, verses 6 through 14. God did some stuff. And then Genesis 2, 15 through 17. Then the Lord God took the man... And he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So the Bible starts out with a person doing work. The Bible starts out with a person doing work. God does work. He creates the universe. He creates the, the, st the stars. He creates the sky. He creates all the planets. He, he creates the stuff. He creates time and space and manner and energy. He creates trigonometry. We didn't discover it for a long, long time after he created it, but we just, he created it then. The idea of dogness or tableness or triangleness, the essence of things. He created justice, peace, beauty, love. He created all of those. He designed those things. God did that work. 
And so then we find in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, and we, we've, this is just a central thing that we have to start from, God creates, he does the work, he creates mankind in his image. He creates Adam and Eve in his image. We're designed to be like him. Not just like him, but to resemble him. We are created and designed to be like God, and we're designed to do things. We're designed to kind of do some of the things that God does, and we're designed to do those things the way God does them. Doing comes from being. And so we work, why? Because we're designed to be workers. We bear the image of the one who works. So, so starting from this positive right view, like I, we're going to get to all the things, not, like why things aren't the way they ought to be and what that looks like, but we don't start from um, what's wrong. We start with what's right. We start from the design. So let's start from that positive, true reality that God has designed. I, I, I'm going to give you some things that, that we can see. Number one, we're, we are designed for work. We are designed for work. We are created for work. See, work, performing labor with your mind and body, it's not something that showed up as a result of Adam and Eve's fall into sin. Work didn't, jobs didn't get created once we became sinners. No, working isn't God's punishment on us because we became sinful. No, work is an essential part of God's original design for us. It's an essential element within God's blessing to humanity. God gives us work because he means it to be a gift. God likes work. God does work. And when he's done working, he looks back and goes, good job, me. I liked doing this. This is a great idea, me. He enjoys it. And since we bear his image, we're made to be like him and do like him <coughs> and therefore work like him and enjoy the work. He goes, it's good to work. I want you to experience that goodness, that joy. So doing good, doing work is good for us. It making, making things happen, building things, inventing things, creating things, assembling things, organizing things, discovering things, cleaning things. It's a hard one to say amen to. But these are what God means when he tells Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 1. He says, all right, yo, I made you this and I made you. And all of this I've made for you. It's yours. It's yours because it's mine. I give it to you. So God says, go forth and subdue this creation. Hold dominion over the world I'm giving you. Take your life that I've given you and take the world I've given to you. Now go put it in order. In, in other words, basically, he says, behold, I have given thee a massive and awesome pile of Legos. They're all perfect. Nothing, not a single bad Lego. They're all good Legos. And I have jumbled them up for you. Now go forth and enjoy making stuff out of all thy Legos. It's supposed to be rewarding. It's supposed to be good. It's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be fulfilling. We are designed for this. It's a gift. Number two, work is an act of worship. God means for work to be an act of worship, an enjoyable act of worship. As, as our brother Jordan just read from Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, whatever you do, work heartily. Work heartily. That that, look at how that's spelled, heartily, not heartily. It does mean work hard, but it means work with passion, work with care, work, work like it matters what you're doing. Work heartily as though you are working for the Lord. Work as for the Lord and not for men. And, and Colossians here isn't telling you that you don't have a human boss or employer. It's just going, 
you have one, but that's not your true or greater boss or employer. You work for the Lord. And you need to do this knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So working, God's design for work is that you work and you work the way you were designed to work so you can reflect God's nature to reflect his character. As, as we obey him in putting our lives and this world to order, we're, we're then honoring him. We're going, this is, what, this is what my dad's like. This is what my father in heaven is like. This is what my God is like. We reflect him. We represent him. And, and our work is designed to show the world that God is present in all times and in all places, and that he is good, and he is just, and he's kind, and he's perfect and wise. It shows that we are to be like and, and to do like him. And we don't, so what that means is we're not designed, God has no intention for us to separate our worship of him between Sundays and from our work and our lives on Mondays through Saturdays. He, doesn't, he never intended for any of that. There isn't meant to be a divide between sacred and secular places. That's not God's design. In fact, there, there's a moment, a really awesome moment, in, in John chapter, I believe, uh, 4, where Jesus is talking with a woman at the well, and she wants to talk about whether or not like, this group of people or that group of people are going to church at the right place and worshiping the right way. Should, should you, like, so Jesus, which is it? Like, which is the way that God really honors? Are we supposed to worship God, like, in a good chapel? And it's got to have a steeple. It's got to have a steeple. And are, are, are we allowed to have guitars up there, only acoustic guitars? And if they got a fog machine, I mean, I, I, I'm pretty much thinking fog machines and laser beams, I don't, I don't think God likes that. Jesus, what do you say? There, there, there needs to be an organ. There needs to be, there needs to be this or that. And Jesus goes, listen, there's coming a day when God's people worship him in truth and spirit, and he'll accept it all, and, and it's not going to be about, about which mountain, this mountain or that mountain, this hill, that hill, this building, that, that building, this thing that you do or this thing that you do not do, that will determine whether it's true worship. Because of God's design and because of Jesus, there, he, has, he doesn't want us to create any division between sacred songs and secular songs. Sacred movies secular movies, sacred television shows, and secular television shows, sacred ministry service, and secular career work. Now, is there a divide? Yes. And are, is, are there movies? Is there television? Are there, are there things in our world that are definitely secular? They are sinful. We shouldn't participate in those things. We shouldn't go to those places, right? Well, yeah, but that's because of the fall. God's design was that when we are here worshiping him, it's an act of worship, and that when you go home and you finally clean out and put back to order your bedroom closet, you're worshiping him. He doesn't count any of them, either one of those things, as greater or less than if you are working according to his design to honor him, to be who you were created to be and do as you were created to do. There's, there's not meant to be a divide between what you think of and how you live and the importance of what happens here, let's say, on a Sunday morning versus in your cubicle on Monday or in your classroom or in your kitchen or your laundry room or any place. God meant for it all to honor him. He meant for it 
all to bring us joy because we're being like him and doing like him. Number three, work is good for you. God created work to be good for you. Again, the result, the existence of work is not a result of our fall into sin. God designed us to do work because it is good. It brings happiness, it's joy, it, it, it bears fruit. And, and hopefully, hopefully every single one of us had, have had, at least had this experience where you, you're satisfied as you work, you're, you're satif- satisfied when you, you, you finally actually complete some work. You've ex- at least experienced the taste of that goodness, right? To, to see your work actually coming together, to, to feel good as things start to get organized finally, to, to, to things start to get moving, it, it starts to take shape what you're doing, and it feels good to stand back at the completed work and feel satisfied, right? That God created us to be like that. He designed us to be like that. And finally, number four, work is delegated to us. God, God has given work to us in complementary ways, meaning it's, it's not just good for you. It's good for us. Your work is good for us. His work is good for us. Her work, good for us. God gives each of us, he designs each of us uniquely with different passions, different gifts, different skills, and different work. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 tells us that the, in, in the same way that a body has many parts and each part of your body has some appointed work to do, when all of your body, every part is doing what it's supposed to do, the whole body flourishes, right? So like, I don't know if any, if you've ever broken a toe, it's only one little toe, one little bone, but what happens to the way you walk? Can you run? Can you stand for very long? What, if you've ever broken a finger, it, it, like if you've ever broken, like let's say, a shoulder or a collarbone or an arm, we had, we had a sister in the church months back, broke her collarbone. I mean, that affects everything, like breathing. Like it hurts to breathe or to laugh or to shift in your seat just a little bit. Little things that you're doing right this second, moving around and not even thinking about it. And so humanity, in a similar way, the church and all of humanity, is like a body that God has given each of us human beings the role, the the delegation to do work that is good for the whole thing. Your your work is not just meant to be good for you, but it's meant to be good for others. So aren't you glad? Let's just take a second to try to be glad and thankful that there are thousands of people out there in the world right now, right this second, doing their work. How often do you think about this? How often, uh, I confess, like, it's like super, really, the only reason I'm thinking about it was because I'm preaching on it. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh man, I don't feel thankful and grateful enough. Aren't you glad that there are people who are right now doing all the work that, that requires, that's required to maintain the power grid <clears throat> or the sewer system, the internet, and the Wi-Fi? What about the people who build buildings, the the ones who inspect those buildings to make sure that they're safe for people to be in, the ones who maintain and fix HVAC systems and elevators, the doctors, nurses, firefighters, policemen, sheriffs? Do you see how the work, do you see how their work and your work are meant to be woven together into a fabric that, that creates and establishes and maintains society and culture. It creates order and safety and clarity. How all work and all workers, God has designed it all to bring blessing to each person 
and to each community. God has designed works to function like that. Now, that's creation. That's the way it ought to be. Now, let's get to why it's not the way it ought to be. It's the fall. So, you guys are getting a hang of the story, right? What happens in Genesis 3? Sin. The fall. Adam and Eve don't trust God. They don't believe him. They, they choose to believe the lie that Satan's been telling them. They begin to think that there's a better way to live because there's maybe a better God than God. Maybe themselves. Maybe we could do a better job than him. Maybe Satan. Maybe something or someone else. I don't know. And, and look, what God tells them in Genesis 3, he, what, he, what he's doing is he explains to them the negative, painful, and completely natural consequences of their sin. He has to explain. He has to have a talk with them now. Not, and it's not just because of their singular act of sin, right? The, the fall, the curse on our bodies, our minds, our hearts, our souls, and all of the creation. It's, that's, it's not just because of this one singular act. They ate some fruit and now everyone's in trouble. It's not simply about that. It, that's what started it. But it's really more about the consequences of the sin, this new sinful nature that they've adopted. It's a result of this new and alternative God that they want aside from him. See, the fall isn't just about some random, single, stupid infraction that Adam and Eve committed. It's, a, it's because of the transformation that they elected to go through. They didn't want to be like God. They, they would, didn't want to do what God does the way God does it. It's about a perfect design they rejected. It's a, a design that God gave them as a gift, and so they're, they're rejecting him. So God, God basically says in, 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 in Genesis chapter 3, he says, look, you don't want me to be God, okay? I get it. You don't, you, don't, you don't want me to be God. You don't want to be the way that I designed you to be. You don't want to do what I told you to do. You do want to do stuff I told you not to do. Uh, you're not interested in trusting me. You are interested in trusting someone else. Could it be mm, Satan? You, you, you don't want to trust me. You don't want to believe me. Well, gang, listen, I have to tell you what this new life that you've chosen now, you've now chosen looks like. I hate to break it to you, but I'm going to tell you the truth. Everything, not just you and everything about you, but everything is going to change. It's now all corrupted. It's all contaminated. It's, it's now all infected and poisoned with sinfulness and brokenness. Why does, why does God let the whole universe get fractured and broken and poisoned? It's Adam and Eve's fault, right? Right, like bluebirds and hummingbirds and caterpillars and, and, and whales and aardvarks and oak trees and volcanoes and the weather, they didn't do anything wrong. They're not even human beings. They don't have a will. They didn't, they didn't make this choice. They didn't do anything wrong. Why does everything get messed up, even though it's the human beings who messed up? Why? It's because even though, that, even though they're fallen and sinful, Adam and Eve are still God's image bearers. He still intends for them to be his representatives, to be like him and, and do the sorts of things he does. And since he created the universe and gave it to humanity as stewards, as regents, as managers, what that means is all the stuff he gave us is meant to reflect our character and nature. nature. And it was meant to reflect a perfect nature. Now it can't. It's, it reflects fallen people. All the stuff is fallen because we're fallen. So in Genesis 3, here, here are God's words. He says, because you listened to the voice of your wife, Adam, you, you didn't listen to me. You listened to her, and she listened to Satan. And you didn't tell her the truth. You didn't protect her from the serpent with a lie. 
because you've eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. For out of the, out of the ground you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Because of the fall, blessed, blessed work becomes brutal toil. Because of the fall. See what God says? The ground is now cursed. The soil. Right? And this is a metaphorical, symbolic, representative statement. It's not just that the dirt is messed up now. He's going, no, the natural world itself is now cursed and broken. None of this stuff is going to work right. From the soil on up. So the wind that is supposed to cool you off from your perspiration and like feel nice, it's going to break and mess up and spin itself up into furies of tornadoes and hurricanes. And it's going to wreck villages and lives and communities. The work that you do in this life, it's going to bear fruit. God, God doesn't go, nothing's going to work at all. He goes, no, it, it'll bear fruit. Your work, you'll bear fruit. And you will eat of it all the days of your life. But it's going to bring you pain. It's going to bring you suffering. It wasn't meant to bring you pain and suffering. But now it's going to. He says, your work, which was meant to only bring you good fruit, was only meant to bring you good productivity, now it's going to come up out of your work accompanied by thorns and thistles. Now your hard work, or even your lazy work that is hard, it's going to bring unintended painful consequences. Have you guys ever done that? You tried your best, and something bad happened that you didn't intend to happen? I wasn't trying to do that but it happened anyhow. That's the thorn and thistles growing up inside of the fruitful work that we're doing. Your work is now what's called toil. Your work is now going to work against you in rebellion. It's, it won't just be hard work. Let me just say this. Hard work isn't bad. Why? Because hard work is meant to be good and rewarding. It's meant to be good and rewarding. no. God says, no, it'll be hard and it'll be painful. We tend to think of hard work as painful. No, hard work is supposed to be good. We only think of hard work as bad and painful. Why? Because it's fallen. We're fallen. It's all broken. So now your work is going to be painful. It's, it's gonna, your work is going to frustrate you. It's going to make you mad. It'll make you sad. It'll rob you of joy. It'll make you feel like giving up. It won't just exhaust your body. It'll, it'll exhaust your soul. It'll feel like this job is stealing my life from me. What I'm doing and the people I'm with, it's sucking my soul out of me. The frustration of an artist as they stare at a blank canvas and what they have in here, they just want to get it there and they, they can't even make a, the first brush stroke because they're confident, they're, you're assured that the minute I touch paint to this canvas, it's going to be wrecked from the beginning. The writer who stares with writer's block, they have all this in them, and all they want to do is get the stuff onto the screen, onto the paper, and the blank page is just infuriating them. And every brushstroke and every word, every, every swing of the hammer, every phone call you make, it just, ah, it's defeating me. It's fighting against me. You know why God did that? Romans 8, Romans 8 will tell you why God did that. Why God said this is, this is the natural consequence. Do you know why he set up like this? It's so that the whole, Romans 8 says, the whole creation, you and the whole universe was subjected to futility, this bondage of corruption and frustration. It was subjected 
not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Satan didn't subject the whole universe to this fallenness and broken. No, he, he, he messed it up. Adam and Eve did not subject it. No, we messed it up, but it was God who subjected the whole creation. Why? Romans 8 tells you, in the hope that one day the whole creation will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the glory, the freedom of the glory of the children of God. The hope, the expectant result is that God would set it up so that his people would, would start to feel the same way about sin and its effects that he does. That we would come to hate sin and its effects the way he hates it. And that we would become desperate and want and need and do anything it takes to lay hold of the freedom and the glory and the redemption that he brings about. We don't need any new president. We're not depending on, on another king. We're not looking for another social welfare system or some social or cultural, cultural uh, victory or win or change. Nuh -uh. The only thing that's going to handle any of the it's not the way it ought to be and it's killing us. The only, the only one who can make it happen is God. God, come. Do it. We need you. That's why God set it up that way. So as you, as, as you work in this fallen world, one of the things that should be a result as you are frustrated and in pain and you're infuriated and you're, uh, one of the things that should erupt in you is a desperate act of worship. You go, Lord, Jesus, I pray your words from your Bible, the last book. Could you get here soon? Could you get here soon? And until you do, please redeem my work less thistles, more fruit. Here's some things. By the way, anyone feeling now all of a sudden the Sunday night dread of Monday creeping up on you about half a day earlier? You're like, uh, I'm used to feeling about work this way like at 8. And uh, it's, it's, it's 1049 right now. Um, thanks a lot. Right. Here, here's some things to understand about our lives of work under the curse of the fall. Number one, work stinks because of sin. I've already done that point. Work stinks because of sin. Number two, work is meant to serve your life. Your life isn't meant to serve work. Your job isn't your life. Your job is given to you. Your work is given to you by God to support your life. And when your life now becomes your work, you gain nothing. I don't care how much money it brings you and how much material possession or achievement. Your work, your job, cannot be your identity. It can't be your purpose. Your life isn't all about your work. Your work is meant to serve your life. Number three, your value before God doesn't depend on the work that you do. Your value, your significance, your meaning as a person, in God's eyes, that doesn't depend in any way, shape, or form on the work that you do on the kind of th stuff that you do, or, how, or even how well you do it. Acts chapter 17, verses 20, verse 24 and, and 25, the apostle Paul says, hey, listen, the God who made the world and everything in it, he, he is the Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't live in temples made by man, and he isn't served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So what, what you do for a living and how well you do it and what you make in money 
it can't justify your existence before God. Because he doesn't need anything from you. He doesn't need you to do anything for him. You have nothing in your skills, your potential. You have nothing in your hands or your bank account that he needs. And he's hoping you'll do something or give something to him. There's nothing you can do that he can't do, that he can't do infinitely better and more perfect. You can't put God into your debt, and you can't get him even squared between you and him. There is, therefore, no, no work, there's no act of goodness, there's no works of righteousness, there's not work or things that you can do that are good enough, and there's not enough works that are good enough to justify your existence before God to give you some sort of value where he'll finally like you or at least finally tolerate you. He doesn't need you to do anything. You can't, there's nothing you can do that can pay God back for your disbelief, your distrust, your disobedience. There isn't a system of favor trading between God and man. There's no trade. We don't have the kind of coin that God accepts. Your value before God doesn't depend on the work you do. But your value before other people as well doesn't depend on the work you do. Here's why this, that last point in this one, here's how they work together. You were designed and created bearing the image of God. Who you are and what you bear in yourself as a person, it has value because that value is given to you by God. It comes from him. Your value is yours because it belongs to him and he gives it to you. I can't leave this illustration because it just becomes so, so useful and so helpful and it's never not true. My children have stuff. My, my daughters, Maggie and Molly, uh, my, my, my son Martin, they have stuff, they have toys, they have beds, they have jewelry, they have you know, clothing. Every now and then they have some money in their pocket. And all of it is mine. I own as many necklaces as my daughters do. You know why? Because the necklaces they own are mine. And the reason those necklaces are theirs is because they're mine. And I am their father and I love them and I give those necklaces to them. But it's yours because it's mine. And it's yours because it's mine. And it's yours because I'm your dad and I love you. And I, I'm generous. I, I love to give to you. So you, you can't give yourself, you can't earn for yourself any intrinsic value or meaning as a person. No other human being can give that to you. No human being can give it to you, and no human being can increase your value, and no human being can decrease your value. Not your mom. Not your dad. Who may or may not have required you to, to earn his or her respect, to try to earn their love, the one who neglected you or didn't accept you or didn't value you. Your mom, your dad, your spouse, your kids, your boss, not anyone in the world, no one has what it takes to assure you that your life matters, that you, you have meaning and that you're valuable. So what that means is your, your life and all that you are, it's, it's all that you're meant to do with your life 
it is incalculably, incalculably, I don't know why I chose that word. It's impossible to calculate its preciousness. Do you know how priceless you are? Your priceless value, completely untethered and unattached to your competency to speak or to run or to walk or to work or be good at math or be good at music or be good at reading or good at your job or be good at being a dad or being good at being a mom or being good at being a son or daughter. You are priceless. You, you have va- that's your value. Why is it? Because it's God's value that he has given to you to bear. And it's completely unattached to what you do or don't do, what you can do and what you can't do, your success or your failure. That means if no one on earth can give you the value of your life, then no one can take it away. No matter what they do, no matter what they say, the value of your life, no matter what, no matter what you do or don't do, no matter what you succeed in or fail in, God says you matter an infinite amount in value and preciousness because you bear his image and he's priceless. Finally, on this, under the fall, sin transforms work from a gift into a God. That's what sin does. Sin transforms work from a gift into a God. And it does it, it, does it in at least these two ways. One, <coughs> pardon me, your work can become, let's say, a positive God a positive God that you love. Your career or the job or the position, the work that you aspire to or you have now, listen, that that can become a positive God that you love. And then what happens is you become a workaholic. You become a worshiper of your work, of your career, of your achievement, right? You become a slave trying to earn your value with what you do, your level of success and achievement. You're, you're, You're trying to earn and get for yourself and maintain and hold on to and keep your, the value you have through the approval of others, the respect of others, the security of the things that you're working for to get for yourself. It goes from a gift to a God, a positive God that you love, and now you worship it. You sacrifice to it. Or it becomes, let's say, work becomes a negative God. And this negative God is one that you hate. And, and you fear this God, and you avoid this God, and then you become a sluggard. You'll, you'll become lazy. You'll lose motivation. You, you, be, you, you stop aspiring to anything that you do having any sort of impact and any sort of meaning and, and bearing any sort of fruit. You, be, you become almost nihilistic. I, you know, I guess I, I do a job, and you know, maybe I don't do a job. But it, it's become a negative God, and now you avoid work. You, you try to do anything you can to do the least, to get the most with, by, by just simply doing the least. And some of you go, well, that's efficiency. No. no. To get the most by doing the least, because work is bad. I don't like it. don't want to do it. Right? But here's, here's, the, here's the good part. Like the, 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 the last section of, of today's message of, of God's design for work it, doesn't, it, does, it starts with creation, but it doesn't stop with this fall. It moves forward and onward into redemption. And that part of the, res, the, historical, the redemptive historical narrative, the story of God and man, 
in redemption, this is where we learn about what God has done about our problem. This is where we, we learn what Jesus Christ, who is God, has done and is doing about our problem. So Colossians chapter 3, 23 through 24, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. What do we take from, from the redemption? Because Jesus forgives us of our sins, saves us from the wrath of God, gives us a new life, gives you a new mind and a new heart, and now he's course-corrected your life to actually be able to steer back onto the path of his design in any and every way? Well, here's what you need to know. Number one, God's reward to you. God's reward no longer depends on your work, but on Christ's. If you're a Christian, you're free to fail. If you're a Christian, you're free to be a nobody. If you're a Christian, you are free, at least in the world's eyes, or maybe your dad's eyes, your mom's eyes, or even your spouse or your kid's eyes, you are free to be a loser. Don't aim for that. But if you try and fail, you're free to do so because God's approval and God's acceptance of you is untethered by what you can achieve or succeed in. He loves you because he loves you. He doesn't love you because of what you can do for him or them or anyone else. He, he doesn't love you because of your potential, like someday when you're better at reading your Bible, more consistent, right? No, he loves you now as much as he ever will, which is all of it. God's reward, what you will get from him, what you get from him now and what you will get fully forever in the new heavens and, and, the, and the new earth, it doesn't depend it doesn't, it's not yours because you earned it. It's yours because Jesus earned it. And now you're free to work really hard. You're free to pray really hard. You're, you're free to sweat really hard. You're free to get up early, to stay late. You're free to, to, to just really just pour yourself out to do good work. You're free. Whether or not it goes really awesome or not. Because Jesus has done everything it takes. His work is, has done everything it takes for God to go, I love you, you're my family. I'll never not be your dad. You'll never not be my child. Number two, you now work for your father as part of his family business. So now, even if you're not a minister, a pastor, working in the church, for the church, you come to the building and you're, you're doing ministry work, right, you know, what, whether or not you're in the nursery or in RCC Kids or, or, or working with teenagers or volunteering or, or be, being a missionary, no, you, know, you, you, can be, um, you can work as an illustrator and layout artist at an advertising company for a magazine. You can be working as a civilian contractor with the military. You can be a biologist or a chemist. You can be a school teacher. You could be a stay-at-home mom or stay-at-home wife. Or husband, I guess, right? You, you, can, you can wash dishes at a restaurant or in your kitchen. You can fold laundry, whether it's for a motel or for your family. But if you are in Christ and you work as unto the Lord, it's all his family business. 
You don't have a secular job. If you're a Christian, if Jesus is your authority, if he is your boss, if he is the one you're looking to please, you don't have a worldly secular job. You work for the Lord. You're part of his family business. You no longer work primarily for a company or for a boss or for a paycheck. You work for the God who adopted you and who is now your father. You work for the God who is now your father and he's included you in his family business. And the family business, God is not sending you out into your home or to your offices or to the airport or to the garage, to the warehouse, to the factory. He's not sending you out to try to get more employees for the family business. No, he's sending you out looking for your concealed and yet to be revealed hidden new brothers and sisters who are going to be adopted to. You work where you work with the people you work with, with the people you work for, and that's not an accident. That's by God's design. His sovereign appointment. Those people you are around and with, you are to work as unto the Lord in front of them. The family business is bearing your father's image, representing God, your father, representing Jesus, your older brother and king, showing the lost world around you what sort of dad you have, what sort of king you belong to, what kind of family you're part of, speaking words and doing works that God does and God says in a way that as many as possible might come to be forgiven and saved and adopted into God's family alongside of you. You don't have a secular job. You're in ministry. You're in the family business. Wherever it is, you're doing work. There's a difference, by the way, between career and calling. If you have a job, then you have a job. It's a career, okay? That's what you do. That's, that's, what, that's the work you do to put like food on the table, roof over your head, clothes on your body, that sort of thing. And it's a gift. God gives you, God, there's a unique career or job that God gives you, and it's a gift. He loves you. He wants you to work, and he wants, wants you to support yourself and pay, like, handle your family and your life and your existence, right? But that doesn't necessarily mean that's your calling. See, God gives each and every one of us, or many people, he gives each and every one of us a unique career, but he also gives a universal calling. And he gives that to all of his people, to all of his kids calling vocation, that's voca, like Latin for voice, where God goes, come, listen, do. So what's your, what's your vocation, what's your calling in life? It might not end up being what you do for a living, but what is, what is, the, what is it that God has called and is calling you to aspire to, dream of, and try to look for ways to just try to bend your life, bend your calendar, bend your resources, bend your relationships around the family business in this way, right? What's your vocation? Sometimes your vocation and your career, sometimes your calling and your career, they, they overlap. Mine, mine happens to, happens to. Like my mom's happened to. She was called to care for and love and serve kids, to love kids, especially low-income kids who came come from really rough neighborhoods and lifestyles and broken families, just like she grew up in. And the Lord put on her heart to care for those kids and go and seek jobs at those kind of schools. And how is she going to love and serve? Yeah, she taught them how to read and write and do stuff good, right? And that, that's what she did for money. 
but her, her, her career over, was overlapped by her calling. And there was way more going on in her service and love for those kids than just what happened with textbooks. I don't have enough time to tell you about that one, but I, I can't wait for an opportunity to. Finally, guys, your, your reward is an inheritance from your father. It's not a paycheck from the boss. God is not opposed to your effort. God calls for your effort. He tells you to work. Work. Work hard. Work well. Work smart. Do good work. Do the good kind of work and do it good. God is not opposed to your effort. But he is opposed to your earning. And that's why Colossians chapter 3 says that for those of you who belong to God, for those Christians who work as unto the Lord, the reward isn't something you earn. What does he call it? Your reward is what? An inheritance. I don't earn an inheritance from my mom and dad. My inheritance is mine because I belong to them. It comes to me by way, by right of me belonging to them. I don't earn that inheritance. Some of you have been part of families where you might have had to do something to earn your share in the inheritance. You, you're going to be cut out of the will if you don't become a doctor or if you marry that person or if you don't treat me the way I want to be treated, right? You're going to be cut out of the will. You've got to earn your way into the inheritance. That's wicked. That's dark. That's terrible. That's dissatisfying. That's sad. I'm so sorry if any of you have ever gone through that. Don't do that to your kids. But you have a father who is not wicked and your reward, it, eternal life, perfect body, perfect mind, perfect heart, perfect relationships, perfect universe, in unity with God now, and every tear is wiped away, and all the former things are put away, death is killed, Satan is killed, all opposition, sin is destroyed, and there's now life, peace, and joy forever. That's your inheritance. Glory. You have a share in the glory that belongs to Jesus. You will be glorious. We will be glorious forever. That's an inheritance. You can't earn this one. That's why a Christian supposed to be someone who is free to work real hard, to work real well, and to really care about the result and aim for fruit, and not be okay with thorns and thistles, and not be okay with failure and, and, and messing up, but also not be defeated and crushed and separated from God and others because you're limited. No, you're free. You're redeemed. You're forgiven. And it's all because of the work that Jesus did in redemption. He, he redeemed you, or he redeemed your work. That's, that's the gospel, and it leads into that recreation that I just, I, just ex, I just described. That's where you're headed with the work that God has given to you. So I want to I end the sermon there and lead us into communion. This is our response to God's word.